0: Welcome to the Hollywood Pipeline Podcast. I am Dax Holt, uh, joined by Mr. Adam Glenn, my co-host with the perfect hair all the time. How do you do it?
1: Dude, I have such thick hair. Like, it's not like, it's heavy. I know some people are like, oh, what are you complaining that you have heavy hair? But it's like, when I get out of the shower, the water just, it, it takes so long for my hair to dry. Do you have that issue?
0: No. <laughs> 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 what about your back hair? Does that does that take a while to dry, too? Back hair. No back hair, but as I get older, the <laughs> ass
1: hair coming heavier and interview. But it's uh, as you know, I know, I had to do my hair this morning, Dex. I interviewed, Noah I interviewed today. Who? Uh, Bito Beto Beta O'Rourke. Oh yeah yeah okay. Yeah, get him, nice guy, nice guy. It's funny when you get the presidential candidates because the presidential candidates they ride around in minivans. No, they black have so many
0: people so- with them, or what?
1: No, just because I feel like it's just them trying to show that they're like a normal person or the but way they're a
0: normal soccer mom or what. I don't get Elizabeth it.
1: Elizabeth Warren, now her, both minivan people. I thought it was very interesting.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, very good. I'll have to I'll keep an eye out for your video. I'm sure you're going to post it soon. So now I got to be careful when every time I see a minivan, I go, like, is there a celebrity in there? <laughs> no, I'm in a,
1: I look like a pedophile. <laughs> 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 That's
0: my fucking life. All right, well, we got a good guest today. I'm very excited to talk to this guy. Um, I know people will definitely recognize his face uh, and his name, of course, but uh, Brandon Novak. You know him as a professional skater. You know him from Viva La Bam on MTV, one of Bam Margera's friends, uh, who has had a very interesting life, who has dealt with a lot of uh, drug issues in the past, being addicted to heroin for 20 years. He is now clean and sober and just... Celebrated his fourth birthday, his sober birthday. So, congratulations! Welcome to the program. Thank you, man. Thank you. I'm truly honored to be here, man. Uh, uh, I, 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 too, suffer from really
2: thick fucking hair, it drives me insane.
1: <laughs> you look good, though, man. You got good hair. I mean, you're uh, you do you have any do people make fun of you now because you have like good hair? Like, you're like, oh, look at this guy and his good hair. And well, I, I,
2: it's funny so I went uh Steve I live in Philly and Steve-O's here for a couple of days doing some comedy shows and and he called me and him and his his assistant were like having dinner and I cruise up on my bike I have like a a pedal bike I ride through the city and and the first thing Scott he's like Scott's like dude you have like really awesome hair <laughs> and, and I'm like well yeah re- I wash my hair like once a month maybe twice I get it wet every day but I wash it with like Ingredients once or twice a month. I don't like that little <laughs> rough look. That ingredients. Look. I like yeah. that. I've never
0: heard shampoo and conditioner be called ingredients, but I like it. That,
2: that's how disconnected or separated <laughs> from that product I really am. <laughs> uh, but I just lather it with like a bunch of like wax every day. So it just looks kind of cool, I guess. But I, 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 when I go get my haircut, I have to get it thinned out. It's like thinned. I need it. Thinned. Same
1: thing. Same you thing. Because it just gets heavy. Like, I always got jealous growing up of people that always had like cool hairstyles and always would change up their hairstyle because my hair was so thick, Once whatever look I pick, that's got to be the look for the next six years because it takes so <laughs> long to trim this FDF hair. Yeah. I mean, my hair was
2: really long, it was all one length, and then I, I, I just cut it. But every time I go back, they're like, dude, shut up. You're complaining that your hair grows too quick? Fuck you. Like, yeah. 40 years old are like, willing to do anything for more hair.
1: That's why, Novak, I was thinking we should do a podcast about guys with thick hair. And, uh, you know, we should really start thinking about this podcast about guys with thick hair. And <laughs> we could all kind of vent and
0: kind of talk. He's, he'll do anything to get rid of me as his co host. He's like, <laughs> Dax, you don't have thick hair. You're, you're out. Well, my,
2: my mind went to you know what they say about guys with thick hair, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> they got They're thick really butt crack nose. hair, is what it is. So That's the rest okay. of it. I am a fan, man, because,
1: you know, I was first obviously intro- introduced to you during, you know, the CKY days, the Jackass days. Uh, and then, you know, obviously you and Bam had a very, very close friendship. How did you and Bam first, how did you first get into the mix and you and Bam kind of became friends?
2: So I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, born and raised. Uh, and and, and uh, there's another professional skateboarder out of Baltimore by the name of Bucky Lacing. Bucky Lacek, uh was pro for Pal Peralta for years. Then he went uh, and rode for Birdhouse Element. But at the time, uh, when I was a kid, Bucky was already sponsored by Pal in Baltimore. And and Bucky was like the man. He had the best style. He was just the great skater. He was very consistent, skated transition, everything that I did. and And he took me under his wing and he kind of mentored me. And in doing that, Sometimes on the weekend, we would drive from Baltimore to a skate park in Pennsylvania called Cheapskates. And when we would do that, we would show up, and, and there was another kid that was my age that dressed like me, that looked like me, and skated exactly like me. He was consistent. He was a transition skater and, and, and uh, like a really good contest skater. And he did tricks that were outside of the box. Uh, and lo and behold, that's Bam Margera. And at the time, he was not sponsored, right? I had gotten sponsored by Pal Peralta through Bucky Lasek, who was already pro, and Bam wanted to be sponsored. For whatever the reason was, it didn't work out with Bam. He didn't get sponsored by Pal at the time. But, but all year, right? Either we'd go up and we'd stay at Bam's parents' house, which is April and Phil, um, it'd be a big slumber party. Ape would make like dinner and cookies and, and just for the weekend, and, and we'd skate that skate park every day. That continued to, to happen for years, and, and, and every year there would be this contest called the NSAs, and they were in Bricktown, New Jersey, and either Bam would win or I would win. So every year, we would practice all year long to, to beat each other, right? Arch enemies in contests, but best friends in real life. And then one year, I didn't show up for that contest, and Bucky showed up, and Bam was like, yo, where's Novak? And, and Bucky's like, I think he's on heroin. And Bam's like, "What the fuck is heroin?" Right? He was still so young; he didn't even know what had happened. So that was how Bam and I's paths had crossed initially.
0: So and, oh, and I what did I hear? Because I was I was watching um, some of your documentary. Did I hear that you got hooked on heroin at four or what? Fifteen. Ah uh, 16, 16 is when it became how, like a- that, How do you even get into heroin at that age? Well, you know, I could give you a whole bunch
2: of opinions, but, but what I believe is, is I was genetically predisposed, right? Because my father was an addict, his father was an addict. My mother, not a problem. My brother and sister, are, which are by a different father, no problem at mm-hmm. all. So I believe I was genetically predisposed, not to mention the environment for which I was raised in. You know, my father was a rather unsavory kind of fellow. He he never held a job a day in his life. He taught me one thing, if and when I go to prison, how to conduct myself. He ran with the Hells Angels, you know, grew marijuana for a living, made methamphetamine for a living. At the age of seven, he would take me to the strip joint. And when he would go in the back and conduct his business, They would sit me at at the, at the, at the bar and, and the dancing girls would pour shots of ginger ale and Coca-Cola in the shot glasses. As I would do the shots, the girls would dance. My father would applaud, you know what I mean? So there's a a lot of different variables for which I could say, this is what led to that. Also like, you know, I'm a, I'm a 14, 13 year old skater hanging out with 18, 19, 25 year old guys. Um, I didn't have to be in when the streetlights were on. There was really no accountability in my life. I was very successful at a young age, which uh, led people to believe that, like, there was a method to what I did, right? Because Mm -hmm. at a young age, I did things that people accredited to success uh, or happiness. So so where was, do you remember the first time you did heroin? Like, I don't have these traumatic, uh, debilitating experiences in life that the moment... Uh, I drank that first drink. I sniffed that first line. I ate that first pill or shot that first bag that I feel like I had arrived. Right. I I didn't fucking do that first drug and say, this is it. I found the reason for which I will open my eyes every day. I am. I, I got no. I had goals. I had dreams. I had aspirations. I can't recall about the first time I put a substance in my body. But what I can recall, just like I touched this table, is the first time that my drinking and my drugging was threatened. Because the first time it was threatened looked like this. i was I was on a, a a skateboarding tour with with a bunch of pro skaters and and one of which, by the name of Mike Valeally and and we were doing this demo at at a, at a skate shop. And they had heard that I had some drugs on me. So Mike Valelli confronted me, said, "Get rid of the drugs or get off the tour." i uh, I took the drugs, I threw them down the sewer. We finished the demo. I got back to the hotel. I met a a girl at the hotel. She drove me back to the sewer. I fished the drugs out of the sewer. Long story short, Mike Alley catches word, kicks me off the tour. Right? Now, now... This was halluc- this rock bottom? Was, would you say no. this? But, no. no. This is like, this is, this is the peak of the beginning. Gotcha. Is this, this just kind of when beginning. you
0: realized, oh, like, I need these drugs. Like, I, I, I am dependent on them at that point. When you're going back to dig through a sewer... Not even really, because,
2: see, this alcoholic brain from which I possess, the very same brain which lies to me in my own voice that makes me believe the unbelievable, tells me that I possess this job that consists of knowing everything, right? Therefore, when you tell me what I need to do, I tell you I need to fuck off because I know, right? Because what I didn't know then that I understand now in in one of my 13 inpatient treatment centers or, or losing count of my outpatients and detoxes is that I have been diagnosed as an addict or an alcoholic. And all that simply means, if I'm an addict or an alcoholic, is this. It means that I'm defiant by nature, I hate authority, and I will never, ever, ever conform unless it becomes my idea, right? Because I possess this job that exists in knowing everything. Tell me what I need to do, I tell you I need to fuck off because I know, right? So in the very beginning, I believe that I know. And, and through the progression of my disease of addiction and the pain becomes great enough, I come to the realization that, that what I do know is that I don't fucking know. And that my very best thinking places me in positions like this time after time, and the common denominator in my problems are me. So it's this like you know first treatment center at the age of seventeen, God willing, my last treatment center number thirteen at thirty five. You know that that those many years of a gap it took me to realize that like there is a problem.
1: Well, do you think you would have been involved with all the jackass stuff if you didn't if you weren't on drugs?
2: I don't think that. I don't think the drugs were, like, the reason why I was, right? I can frame it that way. I don't believe that because I was, like, a a partier is why I was connected with Jackass. I believe that the common theme through Jackass just kind of intertwined with where it was created from, which was the CKY videos, right? Because Jeff Tremaine and Knoxville saw the CKY videos. They flew in and had a meeting with Bam. The CKY, I mean, the Jackass guys is Tremaine... Knoxville, Stevo, Weeman, Pontius, and those guys were all West Coast guys. Then you have the East Coast, Bam, Chris Rabb, Ryan Dunn, Brandon DiCamello, myself, we were all PA guys. You know, and and the common theme that we all had, most of us, nine out of ten anyways, was skateboarding. But I believe that the lifestyle that we all lived intertwined perfectly. You know, we were a bunch of fucking fuck-ups. Who loved the party and didn't give a
0: shit about the repercussions to it? You know what I mean? Do you yeah, think, no. Do you think that? I mean, because you look at that group of, of friends, and a lot of you guys have struggled with drug and alcohol issues. After, I mean, we've watched Bam deal with a lot of issues over the years, and Stevo, who is you know famously sober now, and you know who changed his whole life around. Who I thought one day, he, I I mean, I I'm amazed he didn't you know. Why He's still alive. I'm honestly amazed he's alive and he said that himself, you know, and then, you know, obviously Ryan Dunn had some issues at his as well. So, I don't know, do you think that a lot of that stems from just how hard you guys partied at that time?
2: Absolutely, right? Because usually
0: you come to the
2: realization that you have an issue with drugs or alcohol when things get really bad, right? But now... We end up in these movies, right? And, and these movies break box office several, they break box office records several times over, right? Um, and, and, and these characters that we play in the movies, which are us, right? It, it, there's, it, it, the characters are us, right? There's no, like, all right, time to act. Like, they're us. And, and, and the roles that we play, the reality is that the more outrageous our behavior is, the more outlandish our antics are, the, the higher our ratings go, which means the more in demand we become, which ultimately equals more money, right? So it's like, you, I, I would, right? And also, right, it, if I've been diagnosed as an addict or an alcoholic, this is not debatable. You can look it up in any medical dictionary in the world. If you're diagnosed as an addict or an alcoholic, all that simply means is that I've been diagnosed with a disease that if left untreated equals death right? It's a fatal disease. If I leave it untreated, I die. But as far as I'm aware of, it's the only fatal disease from which I possess that lies to me in my own voice and makes me believe the unbelievable. Follow me. Diagnose me with HIV. I'm rushing to the hospital to get medication. I don't want to die. Fatal disease. Diagnose me with cancer. I'm rushing to the hospital to get chemo. I don't want to die. Fatal disease. Diagnose me as an addict or an alcoholic I need a glass of wine or a bag of heroin to figure out what the fuck's wrong with you for diagnosing me with said disease. Just as fatal as the first two diseases, but left to my own devices, I will get off this interview and I'll believe I don't have a disease and I'll go up and I'll, I'll get a bottle of wine or a bag of heroin and, and I can make that make complete sense to me. Right? So, so I really believe, and I'm sure a lot of us do uh, in, in this world of ours, that, that social acceptability equal personal recovery. Right. So as long as the home is big enough, the woman is pretty enough, the car is new enough, and the account is high enough, I have to be doing well. Yet I can't keep a needle out of my arm. Why? Because I'm in these movies that, that continue to be so financially successful, and, and all it requires me to do is be as, outland, as outlandish and as outrageous as possible. you know. And, 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 and I'm rewarded for those behaviors. Because, see, now I do these appearances in nightclubs. And they say, OK, Mr. Novak, what would you like in your green room on your rider? And I'd say some cocaine, some Xanax, uh, some wine, uh, maybe some heroin. And they'd say, OK, no problem. They would get me those substances. I would take pictures. I would sign autographs. And, and the night I get a check for $10,000. So I keep going to these rehabs. You rehabs tell me that my life is unmanageable. I believe that my life is unmanageable. But my bank account seems pretty fucking manageable. So where's the problem? It's yeah. now like my job.
1: Well, do you, do you think that MTV knew that there was some issues with, you know, health, with drugs and alcohol? Like, do they ever step in and say, listen, you know, it's becoming an issue or were they just kind of put it, take a blind eye to it?
2: Well, it's really funny um, that like when we were doing Jackass in the very beginning, Miller High Life sponsored Jackass in the very beginning. And we literally would have to, they would have to rent a, a hotel room strictly to supply and, and, and put the bottles and cases that they would send to set. I mean, you, you like couldn't even, it was that much. Like they, we just, it was there. But then once it became such a hit and they realized uh, the gold mine that they stumbled upon, it became very unionized. And once the union came into play, then a lot of rules came into play.
0: But did those rules pertain to you guys or just the filming? Because I can I can see them going, hey, you know, we, we got to keep a professional on the set. But, like, if you guys want to take a break and go do what you need to come back, then we're going to let you.
2: Yeah, I mean, they weren't saying no. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it was kind of, like, out of sight, out of mind. So you just kind of had to be more careful and cautious with what you did. Yeah. But, you know, there came a time at the end where it was just getting out of hand. You know, and and the reality is, what happened, I believe, with most of us is is that like maturity played a big role in the part. We believe that you know we're no longer indestructible, no, we're no longer indispensable, um, and and there comes a point where like the fun is no longer fun, and and I think today's current day and age, getting sober is like what the fucking cool kids are doing. I I, I go out all the time and. And I rarely get asked if I want like a drink or a line or a hit, but, but if I do and I say no and they ask why and I'm like, I'm just sober, they, they don't like ostracize me for that. They find it rather remarkable and they're intrigued that I don't need a drink or a drug to, to allow me to have this false sense of security or fun. experience a concert uh, or whatever it is
1: yeah is that why it's difficult to you know obviously we've seen bam the past few months and he's going through his issues is that why it's kind of difficult to have a relationship with someone like bam well the thing is 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 when i went to treatment
2: they said okay you need to change people places and things right now i my my i don't know if bam has hit his bottom yet right I, i don't believe that he has unfortunately what my bottom looked like is, is I had been in 13 inpatient treatment centers. I had lost count of outpatients and detoxes. My mother had bought me a plot. People had taken life insurance policies out on me. I had just woken up from being on life support for seven days. Metavax four different hospitals, four different states, and four different overdoses. My mother had sold three homes to financially pay for me to go to two different treatment centers. She had nothing left to give, so she went to God and said, God, please cure him, please kill him, or please kill me, I can't take it anymore. Uh, at the end, I was the kind of alcoholic who wanted to kill himself on a daily basis, but I didn't want to hurt myself in the process. I was horrible with suicide because I kept waking up. And uh, and I walked into my 13th inpatient treatment center, uh, fresh off of standing on the corner of Eastern Avenue and Patterson Park, selling my body for $40 to, to men just so I could secure another bag of heroin. And and I walked in there with, despite being right a former professional skateboarder, uh, a New York Times selling author who had written a book on addiction. In these movies that broke box office records, despite all the successful accolades, I walked into my 13th inpatient treatment center with my worldly possessions, everything that I owned, consisting of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant. It fit into a bag that doubles my pillow, a needle, a spoon, and a restraining order that my mother just served her 35-year-old son to get the fuck up out of her house. that That's what my bottom looked like. So at that point, there had been enough repercussions from my actions to make me realize that, like, this shit is not what it used to be. Right. And I had attempted to get sober so many times that I continuously saw it working for, for you guys, for for Stevo, for, for all of these other. It worked for those people, but it just was not working for me. And again, that's when I came to the realization when, when I was standing in the basement of my 13th inpatient treatment center as this 19-year-old Employee of the facility is looking through these donation boxes for a pair of used underwear for me because I I, my clothes had gotten ripped off They were literally tied on by a shoestring and and when I walked in they said your clothes are not rehab oriented. Mr. Novak You need some underwear and and I didn't have them. So he takes me downstairs and as he searches through the boxes for a pair of used underwear And I'm standing there praying to God that he found them uh, two game-changing things had taken place in that facility May 25th 2015 the very first thing was that I went from possessing that job that consisted of knowing everything that what I do know is that I don't fucking know. And my very best thinking places me in this position time after time. And the second thing that took place right there, because what I've learned now is that my life has lived forward and learned back right? And now I've been sober long enough that I can recognize the synchronicity in life's events that have led me to the here and now, which absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, proves that a higher power is real and works in my life on a daily basis. And I didn't see the miracle that was taking place at that time. But again, being sober long enough, I can look at the synchronicity of events that have taken place to see that they all intertwined. And, and at the moment, I'm standing in that basement and I'm praying to God, this kid finds his underwear and he, and he doesn't. Um, When I I go from possessing that job that consists of knowing everything to realizing I know that I don't know. And the second thing that happened is I was met by the God of my understanding as a direct result of that gift of desperation. The pain had become great enough. And with that, he doesn't find used underwear, but he, he hands me a pair of size 40 women's sweatpants with no drawstring. He hands me a woman's tank top and a pair of size 13 Jesus sandals. Now, I'm not a woman and I don't wear a size 13, but again, something happened directly after me meeting the God of my understanding as a result of that gift of desperation. He hands me these women's clothing and all of a sudden I experienced a sense of willingness unlike anything I ever knew that existed. And I took those clothing and, and I went upstairs and I got a shower. I get that Baltimore City smell off me and, 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 I, and I successfully completed that 90-day treatment center. And again, when we started in the beginning of this talking about perception, the very first thing that I learned in that facility is that that if I changed my perception, I could change my world, right? Um, and, and and that like my history does not have to dictate my future, but it can most certainly guide and direct it. And and as long as I was breathing, it was never too late. Uh, and I become willing to do whatever they suggested because I knew that my way didn't work. So now to get back to what took me down that rabbit hole is 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 that's what my bottom looked like I, I, I can't say what Bam's bottom looks like but but what I do know about the disease of alcoholism and addiction uh, and where he's at right now he's he's got a, a, a bit more to go all right. That's the, he's left treatment he's, I, I know that he's he's already drank or begun drinking again
1: have you talked to his parents at all I know you know from your relationship with them yeah how, I, I, how are you doing this and how, you know is there a way to work you know,
2: well, it's tough because at first love makes you believe things that just aren't so, you know um, And and the thing is, is I, I can help anybody in the world I could if you guys had an issue I could get you into, I could come there I could do what I could do I do an intervention and I'd have you in treatment nine out of ten But with someone like Bam where he's my best friend. I credit him to saving my life Like he was the reason so what happened was how we met back up after I had disappeared down fucking Heron and row for years is one day I went into a skate shop in Baltimore. And, and unbeknownst to me, he was in there the day before doing a demo. And he had, he had did the CKYs, he had started, and he had become successful in his own right. Uh, riding pro for Toy Machine at the time. And I go in there to try to get some money out of the skate shop. And they say, we're not going to give you any money, but Bam was here yesterday doing a demo, and he left you his phone number, and he said, if you ever want to get your life together, call him, and he'll help you. And I called that number like a week later. He answered and, and brought me from Baltimore to, to Philadelphia and let me live at his mother's house, let me detox from heroin, you know, really gave me a shot. And I believe without him, I probably would be dead or would have died in Baltimore. So with that being said, you know, I, I'm forever indebted to him. But when it comes to me trying to help him because I love him so much, because I believe in him so much, I'll believe that he's different. And maybe he can have a glass of wine on Sundays. When the reality is an alcoholic can't have one drink a week. Um, So I had to send like a a, a professional interventionist friend of mine in the second. I did two interventions on him. One was successful, one was not. And then I sent someone else in. We all three did it together and it worked. Um, But at first his mom didn't want to believe the severity of the situation. And as time went on, as he would check into a treatment center, check himself out of a treatment center, end up in psych wards, end up in jails, you know, now she can't deny the reality that he's created for himself. And, and it's a sad thing, but it's like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You know, sometimes their process has to be their process. And, and Bam's process, unfortunately, is his process, because the reality, he has two homes. He has uh, a Lamborghini, a Range Rover, a Bentley. He has, you know the money, the property, the prestige, when he gets pulled over for a drunk drive and the cops are like, holy shit, you're that dude from Jackass. Here, I'll give you a ride home. As opposed to doing what should really be done where they fucking lock him up for a DUI. There's no repercussions from his actions. And if there was none for mine, I wouldn't have stopped.
0: So you're saying he needs to hit his used underwear moment to be able to, to understand. I mean, he's he's not he's not anywhere close to that at this yeah, time. Yeah, what, whatever
2: that used underwear moment looks like for him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I believe... It it, it varies. Unfortunately, the disease of addiction is not a black and white, one size fits all program. You know, if it was, I would have got it at my first treatment center at 17. I didn't get it until my 13th at 35. Unfortunately, it just takes what it takes until it takes. And who am I to say what it will be for it to take? But the moment that whatever it is takes and he makes the phone call, I, as well as a handful of people are here with open arms, ready to do whatever it takes to help him.
0: Now, do you feel that uh, you and Steve O now bond over being sober together?
2: Fucking right, man. Yeah, like he's here in Philly for the next couple of days doing some comedy shows, and when I'm done with you guys, I'm gonna go meet him. And you know, I live in the city, and he's like ten blocks from me, and we're gonna go to a meeting. You know, but but him and I were talking and, and about Bam the other night, and 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 you know wh- what we've come up with is that we've done everything humanly possible within our means to help him. And there's nothing more that we can do except wait for him to become willing. Yeah, um, you know. So, so yeah, it's it's definitely a common bond between us, you know. But the cool thing is, is I can I, I don't live in this self induced prison that consists of a four room wall called a twelve step meeting, right? Like I can go fucking anywhere and do it. My four year anniversary, I flew to 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 Amsterdam. And and went to an alcohol to a twelve step meeting and picked up my coin, you know. <laughs> and then I flew over to Switzerland to see my favorite band play uh, Baby Shambles with Pete Darty. and he's like an idol of mine. And I went backstage the night of my four year anniversary, and I I hung out with him as he did a lot of illegal activities. I was gonna say that you.
0: seems like a really risky person to be hanging out with. Is he sober yeah. now? No, he's
2: not. And his people contacted me and they're like, Hey, would you be willing to talk to Pete? And this guy who I'm like a super fan of, I have his tattoo oh, on my wow. arm, like, but I never met him. And oddly enough, I get sober. His people reach out to me and said, Hey, would you be willing to meet him and talk? And, and I have, I've, d- I've done that and I continue to do that. And I'm actually flying out in December to speak at this really big uh, prison where Russell Brand just spoke and, 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 and I'm going to hang out with Pete there. And, you know, if and when he ever decides he wants a new way of life, whatever that may be or look like for him, you know, you know we'll, we'll see what can be done.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm a loyal Jackass fan. You know, I grew up on it. To me, I, I don't even laugh at TV, but when I saw Jackass, I mean, it would I would walk out of there in tears. Was there one point on the show, is there any time on the show where I was watching that, you would say, man, like, was there a famous moment when you were on the show where, like, man, I was insanely high during one of your stunts?
2: Fuck, every one of them. <laughs> Personally, like, here's the deal for me, right, and I can speak for me, is is that, so you get this kid who, who was very successful in skateboarding but then pissed it all away due to a heroin addiction, and now he, like, is homeless in Baltimore City. His days are spent fucking selling his ass on the corner for another bag of heroin, Robbing, cheating, stealing, lying, manipulating to get another bag of heroin. So all of a sudden now, like I'm in these movies, jackass, and, and any stunt that people didn't want to do, I'm like, fuck yeah, sign me up. You know, because where I came from to so like these stunts now were like a walk in the park. And the good thing was, is, is when I was living with them, I was not allowed to do like heroin or pills, right? Nothing that would allow me to fall asleep in mid-conversation Potentially steal your wallet when I run out of money because I've built a physical dependency to this drug But it was okay to drink alcohol and do cocaine because that was socially acceptable mm. um, But but the good thing about it was whenever I would get hurt on set filming that always warranted pain pills Right, so I do a stunt that no one wants to do my, my street creds go up. I get hurt. They rush me to the hospital I'm now allowed to eat pills I can fall asleep and be the biggest pile of shit, and everyone condones it because, like, hey, the doctor gave it to him. So I was the guy that was down to do whatever, whenever. And it paid me a paycheck at the end of the day. So it was a fucking win-win all the way around the board. What's,
1: what's the worst injury you had from Jack yet?
2: Um, The, uh, fuck, there were a few. Uh, the doo-doo falls one was really bad. I had broken all my ribs and got a concussion at the same time, oh, um, literally, and then that one sucked, and this is why. So you remember the doo falls one where I'm sitting on the toilet, and I go on that big roll-in, and, and the yeah. ramp, and, and it's like over It looks like I'm taking a shit, and I'm rolling in, and, and I go right to the bottom. Um, broke all my ribs, got a concussion. That helmet was a last-second thing. Knox was like, yo, you should put this helmet on. And I'm like, dude, no, that ruins the fucking, that ruins my street creds. You know, I I can't, I'm not like a dude, you know, I, yeah. helmets just aren't cool sometimes. And thank God because if I didn't put, the, when I put that helmet on, I literally cracked that helmet open. That's how hard wow. I hit. It literally, my skull would have fucking been cracked, no questions asked. But here's what really sucked about that. About a year prior, I'm living at BAM's. I wake up one morning and I'm sick. I'm withdrawing. I don't have any heroin. I have this leather jacket. And in this leather jacket, there's all these pockets. And I go through the pocket. And one of them was a script that a friend of mine, he had stolen a script pad from a dentist. And he writes me a script. And he, and that's just in my pocket from Baltimore. So I go. I take it to the, rural, uh, the CVS. And I try to cash the script. I give it to the lady. She's filling it what I think. But then she comes out. And she says she's on the phone and I hear her and she said, yeah, he's he's wearing a black fedora. He's got on a black leather jacket and he's driving a black Mercedes S5500. So it's at that point I realized she realized the script had stolen. I leave. Right. Don't think anything about it. I think it's just in the past. Cut to the day. I do Doo do falls. I do that. I break my ribs. Concussion. I'm in the ambulance. They're taking me to the hospital. And all of a sudden, the EMT driver says, oh, uh, Novak, there's a state trooper following us. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's probably just the escort to get us there quicker. I get to the hospital. The state trooper walks in. He said, Mr. Novak? I'm like, yeah. He said, we've been looking for you for over a year now uh, for for this script fraud. <laughs> and then, So I, I get bandaged up the hospital. They take me directly to jail.
0: with all your broken ribs
2: all my broken ribs concussion and all which then the next day if you remember when Don Vito did the Lamborghini tooth pull yeah yes 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 that was supposed to be me but I was sitting in jail because of my fucking warrants from the script pad that I got caught oh
0: (laughs) jeez so I missed out
2: on that stunt
0: I like that. That's the worst part. I'm like, I'm pretty sure breaking all of your ribs is the worst part.
2: No, no. <laughs> to me, I missed out on the fucking world-renowned stunt.
0: <laughs> so, like, you know,
1: yeah, it's like I would rather be arrested to get my tooth pulled by a Lamborghini. So I'm like, yeah, that yeah, was, was a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Complete role
2: reversal. I'm like, fuck you, man. I gotta like do this.
1: Well, do you still have a good pain threshold. You know, like the jackass guys, they, they were able to handle a lot of pain. Johnny Knoxville was they able to. Did you, were, was it the drugs or was it just you or the guys in general? Be able to I think pain? it was just the way we live.
2: You know what I mean? Like most of us are skaters. Most of us, we just went really hard with what we did. And then, you know, you put eight extreme dudes in a room, we're going to try to out extreme ourselves. And, and it just like, you know, it, it, mentality creates reality. So in our mentality, we're fucking indispensable, indestructible. Let's fucking do it. The the worse the skit plays out, the better it is, right? Because the higher the ratings go, the more in demand we become, the more money we make. So it's all fucking backwards.
0: I would be the worst friend in that room. I'd be like, I'll take a rain check on this one. You guys got this. I'll, I'll be over here. Don't worry yeah, about me. See, The thing is, if you said that, then you would be extra fucked because we know <laughs> what you're now scared of everything breaking yeah. all of my ribs that's what i'm afraid of
2: so so again because the worse the skit turns out the better it becomes yeah the more scared you are of something the more you're gonna be the guy to do that oh,
0: god that would be awful i don't so know it's almost like that. you have
2: to have your fucking poker face on 24 <laughs>
1: 7 <laughs> what was your biggest rock star thing and not just like the party wise i mean you know when jackass is at the it's at the biggest point right now. It's at the height of the fame of Jackass. Was What was the biggest thing that you remember like, damn, guys, we fucking made it. We're fucking crushing it. Because you know? I remember when Brad Pitt did the show, I was like, holy shit, Brad Pitt was a fan. But was there anything else that happened that you are like, man, like someone reached out to you guys like, I love Jackass? Um,
2: fucking... Uh Sean Penn. Sean Penn was a major fan. His oh, him son, and his son So, like, he would bring his son out and hang out with us. And, like, we're just sitting in the pub in, in Kildare. is some fucking college pub in Westchester, Pennsylvania, with Sean Penn doing, like, a lot of things. I'll leave it at that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's
0: so cool. But, yeah, you know,
2: it's just so many random occurrences like that. And just...
0: I felt like everyone was fans. I mean, Jackass was really like the biggest movie out there and like but at the that thing, time.
2: The, the thing was is we didn't care for any of that, right? So I remember vividly we did the uh the uh the VMAs. Hold on, let me I was just looking at this book. Oh, hold on. I'll show you. We did the uh the VMAs. We went in um I'll tell you the year right here. In 2005, we did the VMAs. And it was the year that Puffy made the, the red carpet the white carpet. I don't mm-hmm.
0: know. The fuck.
2: So, so we did the VMAs. We were at the fucking peak of everything. I made the list of Joan Rivers worst dressed. This is what that looked like. I, I show up in Miami. I meet like three broads. I'm held up in my room with like a mound of coke. And I'm just fucking going at it. And, and all of a sudden, the day of, my door, I bang, I bang, bang. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all fucking paranoid, bugged out. I'm thinking it's who God knows what. And I crack it open and it's bam. He it kicks the fucking door in. And I'm completely naked. I've been partying with these bras for a couple of days. And and he's like, we got to go. And I'm like, where? The VMAs. And I'm like, I, I tried to get out of it because I had two fucking hot chicks. I had this big bag of blow and we're partying. And, and I'm like, I don't have anything to wear. And this is when 2005, when, when you go into hotel rooms, there's computers and there's keyboards. So he looks around, and he rips the keyboard out of the wall and tapes the keyboard in front of my dick, and the electrical tape is taped around me like a thong. <laughs> so I walked the red carpet like that, <laughs> and I made John Rivers' list of worst fucking dress. But I, you oh, see
0: that? It's so interesting to hear the story behind it because when... You come out looking like that. Everyone's like, oh, this is planned. This is to get, you know, attention. It's literally like
2: fucking five minutes prior to I'm held up in my hotel room with three, two hot fucking broads doing mounds of cocaine. No desire to go to the VMAs. But the point is that I was trying to make, I can go to all these rabbit holes, is that by the time we got to the VMAs and we did it, we did the walk. When we got to the point where we were to enter and watch the fucking award ceremony, we're like, dude, fuck this shit. And we went and we sat in a dive bar. You know, we weren't, like, all of us guys, we didn't want, like, the Paris Hilton parties. We didn't want the fucking, we wanted, like, dark dive bars with good fucking music. You could smoke in it. And,
1: you know, like, we weren't shooting for that. Yeah. But the question is, you got these hot chicks. How did it get hard when you have that much coke? Dude, I did. (laughs) Funny story.
2: So, (laughs) a different story. But Bam went to buy a Lamborghini one time. And he went to FC Kerbach in Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. So we go to FC Kerbach. It's his second Lamborghini now, and uh, him and I walk in, and Bam will get off on buying cars, but he wants to look as much like a pile of shit as possible, right? <laughs> because we're little skaters growing up. We're skate rats. The cool kids picked on us. The hot girls didn't like us because they liked the varsity guys. The varsity guys would throw our skateboards on the roof. So we've always had just like a fucking chip on our shoulder because, you know, people now give us attention because we've made it. So so his thing is going to these dealerships, walking in this particular dealership, the FC Kerbeck, we walk in, he's got no shirt on, he's got a tie that should be around your neck, wrapped around his head like fucking Bruce Lee Rambo style. I walk in with a, with a button-up shirt unbuttoned, and, and he walks and he gets the—I—I I don't know the exact model, but it was the—the the blue one. If you saw any of the shit, it's a, a baby blue one. And he goes—he goes, uh, he goes or no, I'm sorry, it was the purple one. The—the the, the purple one. There was like dark purple because he had the—the the hymn symbols painted on the doors. Yeah. And he said, "I want that one. I want it in purple." Uh, well, first the guy sees us and he brings us up into his office, like the head honcho guy. And and his thing is, Bam's thing is to buy these cars, have it all the, like he wanted that car, he wanted it dark purple, he wanted the HIM logos really big on the side, but he refused to ask for $1 off, right? Like he just wanted to show these guys, like, fuck you, I look like this, but I can do this with no problem. While he's doing that, we're in the office, and you know, there's like hot model girls that bring you coffee, tea, sure. drink, this fucking smoking hot broad walks in. And and I'm like sweetheart come in like sit on fucking hang out and the guy's like she can't be in here And I'm like well if she can't be in here. We're not buying the car So you call it now I'm joined in the equation of buying this car. This car has nothing to do with me But long story short we buy the car we go back to the house. I invite the chick over that night She's partying with us again another mound of blows on the table, and I'm trying to fuck her But my dick will not get hard (laughs) So I run downstairs and I fucking get a popsicle stick, two of them, and I make like a, a, a cast for my dick and think that like if I fuck her with this on, my dick will sense that it's in like a, a model's pussy and it'll just take on a life of its own and get hard. And it never did. But I was able to convince her to come back the next night and I fucked her, got hard, and came.
0: And you didn't need a dick cast that second time. <laughs> no oh it's so good
1: it's so funny i can't wait to tell my buddies that story that's so good dude here's another
2: good one too now you got another dick stories can you see this tattoo here it's kind of hard. What yes is it? it's uh i
1: don't know what it is but yeah go ahead what do you think it is uh, um like a bone or something based on you i'm gonna say it's a cum stain Ah,
2: oh, fuck you, man.
1: Here's the thing. I used to bet people, but I don't anymore because you know, it's lost, right?
2: The story's so wrong that it's right. We're at Bam's house, the castle house. You know, if you remember, he has that pool table up sure. there. So we're on like a fucking four or five day coke bender. And we finally, we have a tattoo artist there. And he's just with us hanging out. And we're shooting a game of pool. It's like 5 a.m. After four or five days of being awake, we're shooting a game of pool. I win the game of pool. Keep in mind, I win the game of pool. We go into a bedroom. We have a tattoo artist on standby. I lay down. He puts a pillow over my head. Bam! And he pulls a laptop out. He jerks off. Comes onto my arm. The <laughs> tattoo artist comes in, and he traces the cum, and then he goes over the cum and puts the cum in my arm. <laughs> And I won the fucking game of pool. <laughs> I literally was came in without getting fucked. <laughs> oh
0: my that, god! That's why you don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. People will come on you and you get tattooed.
2: <laughs> Dude, that's the thing. I go into like these twelve step meetings and I hear people say, uh, "My my worst day sober is better than my best day of getting high." And I'm like, "Fuck you, man! Your life must have my, I, some of the best times I've ever had in life consisted of fucking drinking and drugging." <laughs> It did, but it doesn't anymore. You know that party, fucking yeah. So anyone that's listening to this, I'm not like romanticizing or 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 trying to fucking condone or or sell the idea that that drinking and drugging is the way to go. It's it 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 it's begins as a party, but it, it it turns into for me and and all my friends that I know that are now sober. A full-time job that pays nothing but pain and misery. That's yep. my disclaimer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Unless you like cum tattoos, then go for it. <laughs> you look amazing, enough, dude. You look great. You look healthy. Yeah, you're fit as hell, man. Dude, I, I go to the. I right. I I, I, I quit smoking. Uh,
2: I smoked for 24 years. I just celebrated one year cigarette-free. I, nice. I go to the gym five days a week. I work with a personal trainer three days. Um, you know, I, I I always say now that sobriety's given me everything that drugs and alcohol promised me. You know, I'm skating full time. I'm getting ready to fly out to Barcelona to film like a legit skate park For you know, I'm just doing th- because what I want to do right is right. This is one thing that I did. It's it's the first ever addiction graphic novel. Uh, it's the first that it's kind of really. What is, proud what is it. it
0: called? Since not everyone's it's, gonna be able to see that.
2: Yeah, the Brandon Novak Chronicles. Okay. You, you can find all my shit at brandonnovac.com, all one word. Um, but, but what I want to do, right, is because, again, I, I travel the world and I speak on the addiction piece and, and the opioid epidemic that we're in. And, and people's common question is, how do we lift the stigma? How do we lift the stigma? Unfortunately, the stigma is lifting because the death toll is rising. Today in the nation, 172 people will die as a direct result of an opioid overdose. That's worse than the peak of the AIDS outbreak. That's worse than World War. That's worse than the Vietnam War. And the sad thing is those 172 deaths that will take place today are 100% preventable. So the, the stigma is lifting because the death tolls rising. But what I want to do is I want to make addiction more of a conversational piece. I want to make it more of a dinner table topic. I don't want it to be shunned upon. So what better way to do it? In a graphic novel, right? Uh, Get it into Comic-Cons. And, you know, it's just cautionary tales and places and positions that I ended up in due to my drug use. But it didn't fit into my books. Um, At the end, there's a page of, like, you know, who I am, what I do. And if you want help, you can call me directly. Me and my team will help you um, find the help that you need. Uh, and and also what I do again because ninety nine point nine percent of addicts and alcoholics are defiant by nature. They hate authority and they will never conform unless it becomes their idea. So what I try to do is is live and show people this life that's very attractive. It's very appealing. It's really fun. And I do all this rad shit that, that does not consist of a drink or a drug. But because my message holds depth and weight, people can see my stories prior. My stories prior to sobriety in tabloids, on the internet, in my books, they know that I was the dude that was deemed unhelpable or unfixable. And then what happens, they say, if that guy can do it, there's no reason why I can't. And then they ask for help. And something so miraculous just took place when they asked for help. As soon as they ask for help, it has now become their idea. And when it becomes our idea, we excel at a rapid fucking pace. So I try to deliver a message in a form of attraction rather than promotion.
0: And so you're going and you're touring around doing these like motivational speeches around the country and the, I guess the yeah. world as well. Where can people find where you're going to be stopping off at?
2: All that's encapsulated under my, uh, my page, brandonnovak.com, all one word.
0: I appreciate it. Brandon,
1: one last thing. You know, you still have a good relationship with all the jackass guys. Is there any chance
0: of jackass coming back of some sort of form? Sober jackass. Not, that would be awesome. Sober jackass, get you all together, and do it sober. Easier said than done.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's, it's it's
2: not it's not it's not off the table. Let's just say that.
1: Would you go as crazy still, or you think you'd still go nuts? Well, Guess I
2: remember like I remember Steve O showing up on the set of Jackass Three, and he was sober, and and I wasn't. But like he'd have his sober coach with him. And you tell me it was his performance in three just as good as two, and he was sober. So I I'd believe. Be a fr-
0: I think the the bigger fear is you get hurt. Then what do you do when you gotta go to the doctor and pump your b- body with drugs? Then you gotta do it without drugs, and that seems like a a scary, yeah. hard place.
2: There's a lot of variables that come into play. Absolutely,
0: no so. question asked. But you know that's that's so maybe be jackass stars cross that bridge. Jackass stars reading poetry together. I'm, I'm all about that. Right? <laughs> In the nude. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Brandon. Really uh, interesting to hear your story, to hear where you've come from, where you're at now. And, uh, you know, you're out there saving lives. so And your and own. And I'm assuming your mother is probably the happiest person out there now after going through everything. She is,
2: man. I'm flying her down to Florida for that event. Um, and, and actually, I like to attach my, my number for people to call that, that want help. Mm-hmm. and and it allows me and my team to take the call and, and and vet the calls and and point them in the direction that will help them get the help they need. So if, if that's okay with you guys yeah. we can keep the Sure. 610 635 9092.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, good luck man. with everything.
1: Keep yeah. crushing it man. As a fan as a friend, I uh, congratulations. Keep up the good work. And I'm excited to see what's to come.
2: Yeah, that makes for two of us. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thanks, guys.